Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 7, Episode 11. Christine Valeda. Thank you very much indeed for joining us it's your sunday uh, morning afternoon evening wherever you are in the world uh, for joining us here on talking con a cup of tea with englishman in san diego my name is leon sultana and each and every week at 10 a.m pacific 1 p.m eastern 6 p.m gmt we talk comic cons con culture uh, all the things that uh, appear at such uh, events uh, so all the uh, stuff and nonsense that you find at comic cons we get into all of that over the course of the next hour. Uh, we uh, usually do our best to cover as much as you want to cover as well. So please do jump in on all the comments. It's great to see as many people are joining us nice and early already. Like I say, Toby's joining us. Good morning, Leonard. Hello there. We've got Into the Blue Mister joining us from the UK. Hello there, evening all. I know that uh, he's also very happy because he got himself his prize delivery finally through. So, uh, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed that, and I hope you enjoyed the bonus prezi that I threw in the envelope as well. Andrew English is joining us. Hello from London. It's great to see as many people uh, joining us on the chat room already. Listen, um, I think I just want to dive straight into this and uh, welcome our guest because um, I'm looking forward to talking to her. Um, it's somebody who I met at, uh, well, certainly uh, for the first time at, at San Diego Comic-Con a, a year and a half ago. And um, yeah, it's just a, a pleasure to have her joining us. Uh, we have Christine Valeda joining us. Hello, Christine. How are you? Hi, Leonard. I'm going to correct you on that. It's oh, go for it. Valada. Now, Valada. I knew that I, I, knew that I was, it was going to be new, numerous ways I could go. That's true. But, you know, you were close, but you know, <laughs> as we say over here. Fair enough. Excellent yeah. stuff. Uh, well, listen, like, like I say, I mean, the first time I met you about a year and a half ago, uh, and it was at uh, the, um, the tribute uh, panel at San Diego Comic-Con for Len Wein. And uh, it was such a positive and affirming and really um, enjoyable session talking about uh, memories that you all had of Len, and it really was um, a, a honor to be there. Uh, so um, thank you very much indeed for, number one, letting me uh, put the audio of that up online. And uh, also, it was just a, a pleasure to uh, be in the room with yourself for that. Um, I'll have to find it to listen to. It, it, was, it, it was such a fun session. Um, also, first and foremost as well, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, hope thank you've had you. a good weekend. Hope you've had a good weekend. It's 15 people for dinner on Thursday. Um, that would do it. Yeah, it was it was busy. <laughs> That's Lovely. the way Thanksgiving should be, I think. Yeah, yeah. Len, um, Len did what he called Orphan's Thanksgiving. He wanted to make sure that none of his friends were without a place to go on Thanksgiving. So we always had a crowd. That's and fantastic. we still had a crowd. Excellent stuff. Cool. Um, right. So, um, like I say, we want to talk about um, not only Len's experience at uh, Comic-Cons, but also uh, your own as well. Uh, because, um, I mean, I know that you're a photographer. Uh, you have, uh, you've uh, also been in uh, the law profession as well, legal profession as well. But um, what was your first experiences of going to Comic-Cons then? Uh, was it through... Um, I mean, well, yeah, you just go into that, really. I mean, what was your first experience of going to cons? Um, well, my first experience going to conventions um, 
uh, weren't comic conventions, they were science fiction conventions. And the first one I remember trying to go to was a Lunacon in New York, and it was very confusing, we couldn't get in. Um, and then there were two Star Trek conventions in New York, the second and third of the Star Trek conventions in New York that I did wow. get, go to. Uh, I met David Gerald there, and one day David Gerald introduced me to Len. Um, and, uh, but I went to um, the local science fiction convention in the Washington DC area where I lived for 15 years, <laughs> which was called Disclave when I went there. And um, I did go to two world cons um, during that. Well, actually I went to a number of them before I met Len. And I met Len um, because I came out to California to photograph Harlan Ellison at Westercon in 1989. And I was wandering down a hallway and um, uh, David, who I had seen earlier in the weekend, was talking to somebody and said, uh, this is somebody you should photograph for your project. And that is how I met my <laughs> one day to be husband. My first uh, Comic-Con was uh, 19, we were married in 1991. So it was 1992 and I haven't missed one since. Um, that was the carve out in our calendar, nothing interfered with. Yeah. So, I think that's what you find with uh, a number of uh, uh, comic professionals that once they start going to San Diego and once they go, so well, once they go to like New York and one of the big ones, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, it's usually a big convention each year. There is something that kind of uh, grabs their attention, and uh, suddenly with San Diego, that is one of those uh, kind of uh, those pins in the the calendar which isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon. Well, what was your... I'm sorry. It, no, I mean, go ahead. It's, it's a great city to visit for five days. You know, it's, it's well, a terrific place to go visit. Well, I think that's the reason why myself and the missus try and take it for three weeks. Week before, <laughs> week after. We no, we enjoy San Diego a lot. It's a yeah. it's a gorgeous city. Um, when it came to those first initial conventions that you were going to, uh, I mean, before you met Len as well. Mm. Like, say, Star Trek is um, is a, is a very rarefied. Uh, convention experience. It's very, um, in, I, I mean, the, the ones I've been to, very intense, uh -huh. um, still a lot of fun, but very intense. I mean, what was your um, your first impression of uh, going into uh, a convention? Okay. Um, for me, uh, my girl, a girlfriend of mine from college had gone to the first one the year before. And I just... in numbers. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't terribly large. The one I went to was, um, I want to say it was twice the size. So it was hovering around 1500 people at that point in a hotel that didn't have a big ballroom. Uh, people were kind of crammed in when guests like Isaac Asimov were speaking. Um, and then the following year, it, it, you know, it exploded. It was somewhere between three and 5,000 people, um, not particularly intimate. Um, most, what I recall is that unlike the breakout panels that you have at conventions now where there are, some, you know, there are multiple tracks of programming, there was one place where programs went on and that was the ballroom. And um, you didn't have any, you know, unlike these days at San Diego, you didn't have any trouble getting in, but it was a large room. Um, and, you know, people would come in and they would talk, not the kind of panel discussions and stuff that people who were fe featured. Um, there were, 
I, I can't remember where there were art shows. There were certainly dealers' rooms. Um, after, when I started going to um, the science fiction conventions, the art shows were of great interest to me because I did start buying art um, at them. And, um, you know, and then I would, I would go to panels that, you know, about books that I liked or, or whatever. I'm much more, you know, at that point, liter literarily focused than I was media focused, sure. except for Trek. So there wasn't a lot of other media <laughs> you know, in those early days. I mean, I'm talking, those Trek conventions are pre-Star Wars, you know? Yeah. So I, I well I, I I was about oh I am going to be sharing this evening because somebody found themselves a Swamp Thing um, issue. It was either Swamp Thing or How the Duck. It was a comic where there was a Stan Lee uh, soapbox uh, in the back, and he was talking oh. about oh I've just been to my first uh, show. It's, it's called San Diego Comic Convention, and uh, and it's, he's just displaying all the names that he's uh, meeting there and all the people that he's been up on the panel with. And at the end, he goes, "Ah, yes, and uh, Chuck Norris uh, was also there doing a uh, a kung fu uh, demonstration." I'm going, "Damn Hollywood taking over San Diego Comic Con! Good grief!" <laughs> you see, people say this, and they talk about Hollywood taking over. Hollywood's always been there. It's yeah. always been part of the uh, the convention yeah. experience at San Diego. Len had, uh, it, yeah. Go ahead. Len had this wonderful story that he would tell about um, being, you know, in sort of a confined space, and and three fans were busily discussing. This is at Comic Con, busily discussing his career, and he's looking around, going, "I should be discussing their career because it was Mark Hamill and Bill Mooney and Miguel Ferrer." <laughs> that is one of my favorite hit, you know, Comic Con history photos. Yeah, that the, the, those three. I mean, when it comes to fanboys, you don't get bigger than those three. Those yeah. that was. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, when it comes to those um, shows that you went to uh, back then, and how the shows have evolved, and you mentioned there about how. And the convention kind of had a, a breakthrough and it, it kind of an explosion. It does seem whenever you speak to people about a convention, not just San Diego either, that there seems to be this constant ramp up, this yeah. constant evolution. Um, when and if, did it feel that it was ever too much for you? Did it ever feel that, hang on a second, this is just way too big? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was... Um, Around the year that uh, the Spielberg, or not Spielberg, but the DreamWorks version of the Time Machine came out, because I think that attendance doubled in that year, and it got much, much. I mean, it got geometrically greater after that. But that was the year we really felt it. Um, yeah. that you could no longer, you know, you're starting to feel you couldn't no, no longer get in panels. I think the year that Big Bang Theory had its first panel and I couldn't get in the door, real, it's like going, I'm going to find something else to do <laughs> during the weekend because I, I, I can't, I can't stand in line for four hours to get into a panel. I mean, I just, I'm too old and too rich to do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not too rich, you know, but you know what I mean. It's just like yeah. there are other things to do in life than, than to stand in line for now 18 hours, sleep overnight outside. I gave up camping a long time ago. Um, Fair enough. Fair enough. So. 
Um, when myself and the other half go to San Diego, and this is a, a running joke for us, that we land in San Diego, we get to the hotel, we pack, we get to the convention center, and then we just part ways and don't see each other for either the day or if possibly the entire convention until we kind of come back together. If you on, guys uh, go in, I'll be happy to take her next year if I'm at San Diego and not in New Zealand for Worldcon. Ah, ah, yes, of course. That's a bit of it. Yes, there's several. That weekend is a, a clash across the globe because there's also London Film Comic Con that weekend as well. Wow. Like it, it's a very busy weekend in that calendar. Um, was it, is that the same for yourself when it came to uh, spending uh, conventions with Len? Or did you kind of like just go off and do your own things? Or were there no, things I that mean, came uh, together? You know, Comic-Con is always a business convention for us. Sure. Um, when I was practicing law full time, uh, I had more clients than just Len who were there. So it's an opportunity to see folks and, you know, discuss projects and so forth. Um, but we would do, um, I would go to his panels. I would go see what he was doing. Um, and I would go to panels that I was interested in that I could still get into. And it's usually good for me to pick up four and a half hours of mini minimum continuing legal education, um, which I do. I mean, back in the earlier days, um, I would be on the legal panels. You know, I would, I would be a participant in that way. Um, not so much lately. And, um, but in the evenings, the evenings were all together because those were the publisher events that we would both go to. And, you know, always fun to see folks that we knew that lived in other part of the country, other part of the world, you know, um, and so forth. When so, it came to participating in the panels, was it something that you actively sought out? Because obviously you had this um, wealth of experience, you had this, uh, th this knowledge. Right. Was it something that people came to you perhaps or did well, you actively go, no, oh, I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah, in the science fiction field, yes, because I was the lawyer for the Science Fiction Writers of America for seven years and I had been doing panels on various and sundry things before um, I met Len. So um, in the science fiction world, people sought me out. Um, in Comic-Con, since I was not a known quantity to a lot of people there, you know, it takes a while to work your, you know, to, to work your way in and then they forget about you. So. <laughs> and the other element, of course, which has developed and grown, well, I mean, it's been there from the start, but it's seriously exploded, is cosplay and the cosplayers. And you've got the, uh, the experience as a photographer. Was that something that, uh, did you decide to bl block any time to go and do that? Or was it just something that you managed to get to do while you're at conventions? Um, I haven't done any of that for years. Um, I did do it. I mean, I remember going, my first Worldcon was NorriceCon 2, um, which is 1980. And um, I do remember uh, going out of my way to get, a, to get press, to um, getting press uh, uh, credentials. So I could, in fact, go backstage and do the costumes and everything for there. That wasn't, you know, I mean, ultimately, that was not my interest in photographing the field. What I photographed uh, were the authors and the artists and the publishers. Um, and that was done as an exhibit that has, has traveled the world more than I have um, with the World Science Fiction Convention. I mean, I know that it was in, um, I know that it went to, uh, the Netherlands, 
Um, it may have gone to one of the British Isles conventions. I don't know because it has traveled more than I have. Um, but it did a number of conventions here in the States and they, they did have it up at San Jose last year. So, but um, I'm more of a, what I did as a photographer, I like to describe as I was, I, I did third party portraits, whereas the client was not the subject. The client was a newspaper, a magazine, you know, um, and I didn't do carriage trade. People did not come to my little studio to sit and get their, you know, four by fives, eight by tens. Um, I worked for publication um, all of my life. And um, so that's what I wound up doing. I mean, there are other people who have done some very lovely stuff with cosplay. That too has exploded. Um, but uh, I, that was not my focus as a photographer. All right. I thought, I thought perhaps you may have uh, the, the camera to hand just to catch I always have a camera to hand, be it the one in my phone. I mean, I like to say I, uh, my first photograph in the Washington Post was shot on a 25-year-old box, well, not box camera, but a, uh, a, it was a 35-millimeter fixed-focused lens, old Kodak Retina. And I had, a com you know, I had a camera to hand. There was a weather shot. I called the desk. My, uh, someone who had been an instructor of mine was on the desk. She said, bring it in. And my feeling about photography is the most important tool a photographer has is not the latest camera. It's what's in their brain and, you know, how they see it. So yes, I always have a camera and, you know, camera in a, um, in a phone these days is pretty darned amazing. We have a, we had a frozen screen there for a second. Oh. Oh I, oh, I think we're okay. I think we're okay. I'm just going to touch some wood there for a second. <laughs> I think we're okay. Right, hang on a second. It's... Yeah. Uh, oh, my word. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's get rid of that. Right. Technically... Whoops, I've lost you. Oh, dear me. Bear with me. Am I there? Yeah, you're back again. Oh, my word. We were talking about this before we came on air, didn't we? I think. Hello? Okay, I, I, I missed the question or what the reference is. And I'm still here, but I'm looking at your uh, talk and con screen. Yeah, I need to get rid of that. <laughs> Let's get rid of that. <laughs> Let's get rid of that. Okay, no idea what happened there. Um, that would be the gremlins just kind of reminding us that they're there and that right. computers like to be in control. And oh, that, yes, was, that, was probably, that was probably Skynet coming online. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Harley okay. won. Um, to, so, uh, yeah, there we are, we're all good. We so go. um, I know that we were talk, uh, talking about some when you um, met Len at a convention and you went to his panels, and that's um, great to have him um, attending these shows and having a great time meeting and interacting with fans. Do you have any favorite memories of Len at uh, a convention? Not necessarily San Diego, but just across the board. Wow. Um, I know. Where do you start and where do you stop? Yeah, exactly. Um, he was, you know, yeah, he, he loved meeting his fans. He uh, was very accessible. Um, he, uh, you know, it was, it was always a good time for him to be reminded 
that, yeah, you know, people were affected by his work. Um, I, you know, a, clearly a great night was the night he was inducted to the uh, Eisner Hall of Fame. Um, he was a little taken back by being nominated um, and, uh, you know, appropriately humble, humbled by the whole experience. Um, and uh, I just, you know, and I'm glad that happened before he died because I've been collecting awards for him since he died. And it's a lot harder, <laughs> a lot harder on me than I thought it, you know, than you, you think it might be. Uh, because the first thought always is you're, you know, two years too late with this or six months too late with this. Um, and I'm very glad to have it. And he would be delighted to have it. Um, but it would have been nicer for him to have it when sure. he was still around. Um, you know, I, I, it's, yeah, there are so many, uh, uh, thoughts about that. It was, it was fun, uh, to be sitting up in the Warner brother, uh, Warner brothers loft in, in San Diego, the year that, um, both, uh, Game of Thrones came on air and the second version of the human target came on air because I could watch him signing autographs down below with the, with the, um, uh, cast of, of, uh, uh, human target, which he really enjoyed doing. That was yeah, a great group of people. Um, and, uh, uh, so that, that was particularly, you know, fun for him. And then of course, how can I forget the various meeting of Hugh Jackman at Comic-Con, particularly the first time Hugh jumped off the stage to come out to the audience to shake Len's hand. Um, that was, that was pretty damn terrific. I mean, all writers, should be privileged enough to have an actor who is that grateful for a character um, because I will tell you it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> uh, this is true. I mean, also, I, I, it's been interesting talking to a number of creators that um, have uh, some great fame and they are well-known within the industry, but they are also... Uh, fans of comics themselves and when they suddenly go fanboy um i think one of my favorite memories personally is i believe i was uh, stood next to uh, grant morrison um at which point uh, stan lee was walking by and grant just collapsed he, he, <laughs> just, he just kind of ah he just he just suddenly, ah he just totally derailed him and yeah. was there any, any moments when len kind of uh, was wandering around or just random moments which kind of took him aback. Ah, oh, God. Um, I am sure there were, and they will probably come to me after we're off of this broadcast. But, um, you know, we were, uh, we were in Australia in 2013 with Grant, his wife. Um, I, this is terrible because the music is not my generation's music, but <clears throat> my, my, my chemical romance, um, the writer of, oh, this is awful. Um, Umbrella Academy. Um, yes. Umbrella Academy. Um, and uh, who else was there with us? Dave, um, artist who worked with uh, Neil Gaiman a lot. Uh, Dave, that would be Dave McKean. McKean and his wife and, and all. And that was, you know, that was a great deal of fun because Grant was appropriate, appropriately obsequious to Lynn. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, which I got a great kick out of um that you know len i mean len len had a big part in bringing a lot of the brits over 
to the States to work. And I think that that was, that was one of the things that he really loved about being in the business for as long as he was, that he had a good eye for identifying talent. And he was very supportive of talent that came afterwards, um, some of which I think have not been quite as grateful as they should be. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I uh, um, really appreciate it when people like Neil Gaiman uh, talk about one's contribution to the field and, how, and, and Chris Claremont about how many people wouldn't have had work if not for, uh, because so many people have built on what he started. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, he was he was really good at starting things and then he'd get bored and go on Indeed. to something else. And I think it was very lucky for him that um, he uh, and very I mean, it was it was good for him that he got to go back to Swamp Thing at the end. If he could have gone back to Wolverine, I think he would have. Sure. That's fine. Um, I, we've got a couple of questions that have come in on the chat, and I will be getting to those as well. But yeah. thank you very much indeed to everyone who's got a couple in. Please do uh, jump in and continue with those. Um, I do, I'll do. i ask one more, and then I'll get a couple of those out of the way. Okay. Um, when it comes to the way that the conventions have grown and exploded and also changed a little bit of their focus away from comics, some people... Mm -hmm would feel that it's just gone too far in a, the other direction. And when you talk about comic conventions and Comic-Cons, the, the, the comics are getting more and more marginalized. Is there any element of the con convention experience for yourself which has changed for the worse, would you say? Well, as I said, I can't get into panels I want to get into. Sure. Um, you know, and, that, and that's, that's pretty sad. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's probably the worst. I mean, in terms of the media coming in, you cannot stop progress in sure. that way. And most people get their comics now on television, I think, rather than any other particular way. Um, comics don't sell what they used to um, by any means whatsoever. I mean, you had your the, 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 the peak of comic sales, I think, actually was probably World War II. But everybody thinks of the yeah of what happened when the speculators got in around about the time Len and I got married uh, in the early '90s when the death of Superman occurred and people bought seven million copies of a comic book. I think if you actually look back on numbers, there were probably bigger sales during World War II of comic books. Um, but I, I'd have to I'd have to go to somebody like uh, Paul Levitz who actually knows that better than I do. Um, I, um, you know, my, my, uh, you know, I don't, you know, people find their own conventions. My convention is always, was always very different from Lens and it was very different from my son who, who, you know, went to his first Comic-Con, uh, when he was 10 years old. Um, you know, he, he is totally, you know, as an adult now, yeah, but as a kid, he was he became interested in anime and gaming, and his convention is pretty much the anime and gaming convention. Um, you know, Lens was partially media because, of course, he wrote he wrote animation and he wrote live action, um, but and he was very interested in what was being done with his characters in other media. Um, and mine, uh, I think, you know, tended to be more on the business aspects of things, what was going on that way, and art, um, 
because I really love the art. Um, and, uh, so all of that is, you know, kind of the way I look at it. Is that usually your first place to head to when well, you uh, get to a convention? It's so difficult to find. <laughs> I am not entirely sure where the art show is at Comic-Con anymore. Um, I know where it used to be, but yeah. those are now panel rooms. So, um, or it used to be at the far end when, when Comic-Con was only a fraction of one floor of the convention center that is now only a fraction of the size of the entire convention now. Yeah. yeah. It's something, yeah, it's something that I kind of um, railed against myself because um, when, I mean, I, my first, I mean, I'm a relative noob. I, I'll fully admit 2010 was my first uh, for San Diego and yeah, the, um, the art show and the art gallery uh, up in sales was a great place to go and see, um, firsthand some really amazing creative talents uh, yeah. right there in front of you and, uh, and uh, dis displaying their work. I believe now it is in a room in the Grand, uh, Grand Hyatt um, or the Manchester Grand uh, on a floor somewhere out of the way. And I think yeah. that's, 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 that's a crime. It, it is. really is. It really is. That's why I can't find it. Yeah, absolutely. When you stay at the hotel that's at the other end of the convention center, yeah, you know, it becomes... That like a Sherpa guide hike to yeah, get that. However, my niece is now working for Hyatt. I may be staying there the next time. <laughs> <laughs> it's always handy to have someone on the inside. That's, that's good enough. That's fair enough. Okay, so we've got a couple of um, uh, questions. Uh, into the Blue Mister, um, stepping away from the convention uh, <laughs> chat for a second. Um, I love how different creators have different offices and studios. Uh, could you ask Christine what Lynn's workspace was like? This is interesting, actually, because uh, I was reading um, um, Joel Meadows' Masters of Comics, and uh -huh. I'm, I'm also interested in the different spaces and the way that um, artists approach their spaces. Either it's somewhere away from home, so it's, there's a definite disconnect. There's work and there's home. What was Lens like? Uh, Lens was, except for when he was working as an editor, uh, always in the house. I think even when he was working as an editor, he did all of his writing at home. Um, he was much more of a night owl or a vampire when we were first together where he would work all night. Um, and I believe that that is how he generally tended to work was at, to write was at night. That changed. Um, his work space, a colossal mess. Don't touch anything because I know where I put it. And if you move it, I will not be able to find it again. And it's like, how can you find anything in the first place? It's not there. I mean, I, I, would, I would show you what the room looks like, but it's a colossal mess that I still have not been able to deal with. Um, there were, you know, uh, when we moved, we had a fire in 2009. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were... Um, uh, uh, put out of the house for about a year and we returned briefly and then bought the play, the house I live in now and the house. So he had came in, he's like, that room's mine. It's like, okay, fine. So one of the bedrooms became his office in the corner. There were rules among the Len rules. Uh, um, he could come into my workspace, which for a while was also in the house um, and start talking to me whether I was doing a response brief for a lawsuit or whatever. He would just start talking. 
I would have to go and stand quietly in his doorway until he acknowledged me before I was allowed to speak because God forbid he would lose his train of thought on whatever he was writing. So um, there were, you know, there was a certain lack of equality there. Um, but, um, you know, it was his space. Uh, it is filled with, it is filled with uh, bound volumes, uh, you know, collected volumes of comics. It's filled with individual issues of comics that are stacked three feet high. Um, uh, desk, computer, he was dragged kicking and screaming to the computer age in the, around 1985 or 86. We had a mixed marriage for many years. He used Mac, I used PC. Um, when Mac was the way to go with photography, I, I became a hybrid. I worked both ways, but he, he worked Mac his entire life and would, you know, sort of look askance at having to deal with anything with MS-DOS. Um, so there was an L-shaped desk. Uh, computer on it, printer, um, but colossally messy. Wow, excellent! Yeah. I'm I'm also um, fascinated by the fact that you're. Um, it's a space that you've not wanted to tackle yet. It's something that um, you're you're still feeling is very much his space. Yeah, um, it's very hard. I mean, it's uh, it's like I keep looking at it, it's like behind that door is a guest bedroom. Um, but, uh, or, you know, I move my office stuff out of, out of my bedroom, but, um, it's, uh, it is very much his space. It is, uh, it's filled with action figures. It's filled with, uh, you know, sideshow Wolverines and everything else that they did. Um, you know, eventually it will have his awards in there rather than in my living room. Um, but, um. It's very hard. It's very I can hard. Imagine. Because it I can imagine. So. Okay. Um, also, I, I, I've got a couple of questions about um, the relationship you had with Len at conventions. And I, I kind of have to do uh, add this as well, because um, when myself and Caroline go, especially as I've started to do more panel hosting and I've become more involved in the actual um, conventions itself, Caroline's kind of evolved into being a little bit of a PA for me, which is not something I'm overly happy about, yeah. but it's something that did happen. Is that something that kind of happened with you and Len, or was it a case of, no, you sort your own convention out? Well, no. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I would consider myself, I mean, besides being his lawyer, I would consider myself more to be more of his, P, you know, his PR person, which I have yeah. to do for a number of my friends. Um, you know, I, my, I felt my job was mostly to, to watch his back. Um, and, uh, when he got, you know, when he became very ill, um, a little bit more, but actually my son took over more of that aspect of things. His last few conventions, Len was, or Michael was really there as, as, uh, his, you know, the person who watched out for him, make sure he got to where he needed to go, make sure he was keeping, uh, his schedule. And, and, uh, he did a very good job out of it as, you know, I will say. Sure. Um, as um, the years have gone uh, since Len's passing, uh, you are still going to conventions. You're still uh, wanting to uh, uh, go and see these amazing things at shows. But obviously, there is uh, a lot of people that are quite understandably wanting to talk about Len and about his uh, influence on the industry and on comics. How, how difficult is it to go to a convention nowadays uh, for yourself? Is it something that you 
take a lot of joy in or is it um is it a little bit difficult um yeah san diego is a little bit difficult um but yeah time passes and and things get easy you know get a little bit easier to deal with um but no i mean i i don't we used to go to a lot of conventions um we would do uh we do san diego we would do world fantasy we would do uh wondercon and worldcon for sure every year and um i did world fantasy this year because it was down near LAX. So I, I actually did go, I hadn't gone in a number of years. Um, and at the science fiction fantasy conventions, I actually have more of a separate identity. Um, I mean, obviously everybody who's anybody in the field knows about, you know, my marriage and everything, but because I was established there before we were together, it's a different dynamic. Sure. Uh, at Comic-Con I am, always going to be wife of yeah and that's okay too you know that, that was as Len would say you knew the do- job was dangerous when you took it and i would say i didn't know how dangerous it was no you know you kind of covered a lot of that up um but uh you know it's it's i'm i enjoy going if anybody you know if i'm invited i go um i would be you know more than happy to go uh, we were sorry that uh, there were, uh, Len had been discussing coming to London for a convention about the time he got hit with a heart attack. And after that, uh, traveling that far just was out of the question. Um, it just well, that, that was going to be a question I was going to ask as well about traveling further afield. Because obviously um, the, the industry and its um, worldwide um, appeal, it allows you to have those opportunities to go to conventions outside of the US and kind of explore and find mm-hmm. uh, uh, interesting places around the world. What oh, yeah. was, is there any highlights and memories of uh, you and Len going off to uh, further afield? Well, the only time I went with him to uh, uh, way further afield, I mean, we went to Canada, but, but Canada hardly counts. Uh, we <laughs> went to Australia. He was invited to be part of this symposium that takes place at the Sydney Opera House. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were, this was before the heart attack, but after he was on dialysis, and they were good enough um, to make arrangements for him to go to dialysis while he was there. Um, they took on all of that. It worked out quite well, and we had a wonderful, wonderful time, although we did not get far afield from Sydney. Um, I am envious that Chris Claremont is in is in uh, Greece right now, and he's been to Italy a couple of times. And I would have loved to have had Len get those invitations when he was around to enjoy them. Um, he did get an invitation to India, uh, but it was after dialysis had kicked in, so there was no way he was going to be able to do that. And as I said, we he had been in negotiations about going to London, but that wound up not happening. Um, he had been to Europe a number of times before we were married. And, um, I think the last time he was there was when he was working for Disney. Um, so just before we were married. Fair enough. Well, I mean, I hate to fly, by the way, sorry, <laughs> I said, I hate to fly. I will. Fly, ah, well, I hate that, to that, that I can understand. I think yeah. it was, um, Terry Dodson, uh, who, uh, came over to, for Thought Bubble, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And um, I was I went up to him and I went, just out of curiosity, are you here? Because I suggested it to you about three years ago. Because he was asking about UK conventions. 
and obviously you it's terry and rachel it's you feel that there's this uh, combined package and he went yeah getting her on a plane that was not going to happen and i went <laughs> I, I can t i totally get that i totally understand you said you were going to ask me about jeopardy I was going to ask you about Jeopardy. It was going to be something I was going to kind of uh, wrap up on because, um, I mean, people know of you um, uh, as a photographer. They know about um, uh, your, your work in, uh, with the legal field as well. But uh, four-time Jeopardy champion? Yep. Fantastic. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, um, it ultimately meant that I was on a show six times because you win four times, then you lose. And um, and then you you know if you win four times you are likely to come back for the tournament of champions, uh, which I did, and um, it was a blast. It was something I'd wanted to do since I was a kid. Um, I tried out for the show. I tried out for the show the first time when I was in college when it was still in New York. Tried out for the show again soon after I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, that day nobody made it through the through the initial round. It was a really bad day. Uh, and then they put the test online, and uh, I passed and was interviewed the first time. And they called me to be on the show and then told me I couldn't be on the show because I had a friend who was working for a special effects, com effects company that was working on Spider-Man. And they thought that that was a conflict and let them know, and they wanted me to let them know um, when she was no longer working for them. So... Time goes by. I took it. In, I took it the next time online. That time, it took eleven months for them to call me up. My friend wow. was no longer working on Spider Man, and I made it on the show that time. I mean, I was a good demographic for them. I'm an older white woman. Well, an older woman. They, I don't think they care about my color, um, but you know, they've got a lot of white guys to go on that show. So anything that breaks up the dynamic <laughs> is really something they are looking for. So I did well. I made some really good friends. Um, my uh, my group from the Tournament of Champions was just a great group of people, and um, a number of us are still in touch, um, mostly through Facebook. But uh, Dave, Colonel Dave Bullout, who was um, uh, a six-time champion, I think, my year, um, ran was was running for the I want to say the Senate or uh, in Virginia. I was going to hold him a uh, a fundraiser before he dropped. He dropped out because of a family matter, but um, you know it's very interesting, folks that you that you meet on Jeopardy. A lot of people. I was very interesting. There was sort of this blowback in the comics field about how I didn't mention Len or how I didn't mention was I ashamed of comics? And it's like going, you know, Jeopardy was about me, not about Len. Yeah. And he was very cool with that. I mean, I called him in a panic um, the morning that I went into tape because uh, he and Michael came in later and I had spent the night at a friend's house nearby the studio. And I said, will you be upset if I don't win any money? And he goes, there's money involved. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. Um, uh, so, you know, it was one of those things. Jeopardy was a religion in our house. Um, we, there was one of the things that we bonded over. And the last time he flew, he flew to London, in fact, stuck in LAX. I was in law school in Cleveland, and I relayed an entire episode of Jeopardy to him, which was on television here, uh, so he could, uh, you know, uh, and I think that, you know, this is before cell, I, I don't think we had cell phones. Um, so he must have been on a pay phone at the airport 
you know, feeding it while I was reading him clues for Jeopardy. Um, it was pretty funny. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, what was the um, experience like? Because like you say, I mean, four-time champion. I mean, when you started getting um, the, so like oh, episode to episode, uh, I mean, what was that like? experience was like? Exhausting. I mean, how, how well did you feel you were going to be doing? Um, you know, you never know. And, no. you know, you could, they can open up a, a, a uh, open up the board and you go, I don't know what any of those categories are. I've never heard of any of those words before. Um, I, I had been, uh, because I lived locally, they asked me to come in to be a potential alternate. So I'd actually been on the stage already. I spent a day there and uh, had, you know, worked with the buzzer and all before I went on to the time that I was actually going to be on. And because I had done that, they put me on the first show that shoots. They shoot five shows a day. Sure. Or they did. I understand they're doing three and two now because Alex is so ill. Um, but they, you shoot five episodes. You have no idea how exhausted you are by the time lunch rolls around when they've done three episodes already. And then by episode four, you're going, just kill me now. Oh, God. Please don't make me do this. My contact lenses, which I, you know, at the time I wear contacts. Now I have bionic eyes. Um, like they're glued to my to my eyes and it's like i can't read this i can't read the board anymore um it was i mean by that fifth game it was pretty pretty awful and um you know i just i came in second on my last game because of, of betting properly and um i <laughs> i'm so angry at having lost that game because um my friend bob harris who has been on the show many times he was five-time champion back in the days when you were limited to five games and he's written about it and i highly recommend the book it's very entertaining called prisoner of trebekistan and in it he has a chapter uh i think the chapter refers to um millard f and fillmore and i got 12 presidents in and I didn't think I was going to get to my answer. And I started from most recent presidents going back missing by one president, Miller F and Fillmore, which was the answer. And it's like, a, you know, you wake up at night in cold sweats because you've done this stupid thing. <laughs> Nobody else got it, by the way. Um, it was a matter of having gone into final jeopardy, not in the lead that um, uh, blew me away. And, you know, us presidents, I thought was one of my wheelhouse yeah. And it blew me twice. So that and in the tournament of champions. Anyway, it was, you know, it was, it was an experience. I love Maggie uh, speak and all the people who work for in the, in the uh, 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 contestant wrangling are wonderful people. And I, uh, you know, I, I loved the experience of being there. Do you get the, um, a different experience watching Jeopardy or did you get a different experience watching Jeopardy once you'd been on the show? Cause you'd obviously got to see how the sausage was made as it were. Yeah. And like you say, <laughs> there's also that feeling as well that like you say, you doing all of those shows back to back watching, uh, an episode of Jeopardy, you're focusing on that one episode and yes, it's a, a lot of mental arithmetic and a lot of gymnastics, but doing like you say, filming uh, that many episodes back to back and feeling completely drained. Do you watch the show slightly different now? I mean, a lot of people I know who have been on the show don't, don't feel obligated to watch it anymore. I don't want to watch it anymore, depending on how they did on the show. I still watch it. Um, 
I, you know, it's like, I'm very proud. I'm like all caught up. I'm ready to go on Monday when it's, you know, cause I, the year that Len died, it backed up for months um, because it was something we did together every sure. night. And um, it, the other thing, this, this, this will choke me up. He was, he was in the final Jeopardy answer two weeks after we buried him. Yeah. The uh, episode had been filmed in the spring because they were worried about a writer's strike. And so it was already, yeah, yeah. Do a close up on me crying. No, um, no, no. <laughs> and um, anyway, but he was, he was part of the, the, you know, Alex said his name and he pronounced it correctly. Good for him. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, later in the year, I think there was another question that was directly related to Len about Wolverine. Um, sure. And they didn't get it. But, you know, that was like, that would have been the biggest thrill for him to sit and watch that. I think I remember the, uh, when social media found out about it, because I think the, uh, yeah, the, the line basically was, how did you get that wrong? How did you get that wrong? Well, my question is, is how could I be on there? And the category was Hughes we love, and none of them was Hugh Jackman. So. That's ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. Listen, Christine, I yes. want to say thank you very much indeed for you for coming on and talking to us about uh, conventions, about Jeopardy, and of course talking about Len as well. I'm certain that we'll, I mean, I'm hoping that we'll see you at a convention uh, talking about Len again, because um, I know that we had that, um, that wonderful uh, tribute uh, panel at, uh, two years ago, but I'm hoping that um, those panels continue because I think um, creators that have left us really should be remembered and celebrated at these uh, uh, shows uh, as well as um, new upcoming talent. So, I, I mean, legacy creators are where we learn these stories and learn these heroes. And um, Len is definitely one of those. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you Christine, much. thank you so much indeed for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, once again, happy Thanksgiving. Thank and enjoy and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays. Okay. Wow. Wow. Um, that was fun. Um, that was um, Christine Vallada. And uh, yeah, just so much fun to talk to her uh, about uh, Len. Um, and also about her convention experience. I really want to talk about her own perceptions of, of uh, conventions, and um, that's what we got out of that uh, conversation. I really enjoyed talking to her. Thank you very much indeed to Christine for coming on. Right, um, great guest, and we have another one on the way, but first things first, just to uh, quickly say once again, um, everyone who has been supporting us on Patreon, thank you so much indeed for your uh, continued support. We've been trying to put on, uh, up as much as we possibly can, especially from Thought Bubble and also Geek Girl Con as well. We do have some um, other convention coverage, which uh, Dan Berry and uh, the rest of the uh, convention collective uh, uh, people have been putting together. We're going to hopefully get those up in the next seven days. And also, uh, we're going to get some a bit of a couple of surprises on uh, on the site in about uh, over the course of the next seven days as well. So if you'd like to support us, patreon.com slash Englishman SDCC. Of course, every uh, penny does go into the running of the site and helping us do what we do. So please help us by supporting as much as you can possibly can. Thank you. Right, we have ourselves another special guest who is joining us. Um, this boy has been a very busy chap. Um, considering it looks like he's also been decorating He's got himself his Christmas decorations up already. Is that hello there? 
Oh, um, bit of a. Uh, Aha! Merry picture. Christmas. Merry, it's yeah, okay. It's. I know. It's, I know. Sorry. It's not. Let, me get rid of it. Let me get rid of it. You know what? No, put the hat back on. I'm not the only person wearing a hat. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> listen, um, Mark. Hello there, sir. How are you? Yes, I'm very good, thanks. Yes. You have been a busy chap. Um, you've been running around the capital chasing after um, a uh, a gentleman. That sounds like I'm some sort of stalker. It's weird. Um, no, nothing like that. But no, look, as we know, I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith anyway. So anytime he comes to the UK, which is not that often anymore, unfortunately, um, I will go and see what he's got to offer. And he's now doing this Jay and Silent Bob Roadshow. Uh, at, sorry, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot Roadshow. Um, and he was here in the UK uh, for the past couple of days. So I was lucky enough to be in attendance for one of the screenings and one of the Q&As. Okay. Um, I mean, I know that uh, he's been doing his best kind of... When he does come to the UK, he tries to leave the M25 at least once. But he's been very much on a really strict kind of promotional uh, calendar because every single time I turned on Twitter or turned on social media, he was just everywhere. He was, yeah. abs he was absolutely putting the, uh, the mileage in uh, when it comes to as many people as he could talk to, which kind of does make you wonder how much energy he's got for the actual screening. What was your Q&A like? Uh, well, mine was the first of the oh, day. Oh, wow. Okay. Excellent. So yeah, so mine was, uh, it started at five and he came did 10 minutes intro, then the film, which is just over an hour, uh, just under an hour and a half. And then he did a Q&A for maybe about 50 minutes, but they had to stop by eight o'clock because they had another screening at 20 past eight, which then that one had to finish by midnight because he had another one at midnight, which then had to finish by 4 a.m. because they were kicking them out at 10 past four. Good Lord. And then... He was going back onto one of the big radio stations in the UK at 7.30 the next day, 7.30 a.m. the next day. This is what I mean. I mean, yeah, that's that's grueling. But yeah. the thing is, this is not something that he's just getting, kicking off either. He's been running this tour, certainly in the U US, for about a month and a half, two months now. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of... It's slowly coming towards its end now because the film's already out in the US uh, and it came out here in the UK uh, Friday, actually. Um, and then it's hitting DVD in January. I know here, not sure about the US. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's been really pushing this. But he was saying at the Q&A, look, you know, um, the financiers were he was saying to the financiers, look, if I take this film out on the road, people will turn up. Give me that opportunity. Let me go out and promote this myself because, you know, People turned up for all of the Q&As, just the Q&As of him and Jason Mewes. If you're showing a film, which is him and Jason Mewes being rebooted and having all of the old people back from those classic films, people are going to turn up. And he was right. I mean, those tickets, as I said, three showings in one day, all of those tickets went within 20 minutes. It was wow. chaos, absolute chaos trying to get tickets. So then they had to put on two screenings on the Friday at another cinema in London. He'd already done one in London on the Wednesday as well. I, he may have gone up to Manchester. I'm not too sure. Um, but yeah, as you said, Leonard, on a very strict um, timeline of how to promote it. But you know what? As you said, he seemed to be everywhere and he seemed to do a damn good job. What was the highlight to your Q&A? Um, do you know what? There was a few, actually. Um, somebody had asked him... 
if he was to remake if if jay and silent bob were british who would he choose to play them <laughs> now he was really stuck but he chose russell brand for jason muse and somebody shouted out ricky gervais for silent bob which is actually a really good idea um the other I thing I prefer, that came... I prefer i prefer the idea of ricky gervais and uh, russell brand yeah i mean it's really good but as he said ricky gervais wouldn't shut up so that doesn't work he needs somebody else um the other thing that came out of it and i found this quite interesting was he was um in the film and i don't want to spoil this for anybody actually um but unfortunately mark hamill is not in this film he's tried to bring loads of his old friends back from all of the previous films but mark hamill is not in it for a very good reason which is the empire told him no he can't be in the film and you can't go against the empire so that's why he's not in the film however kevin was saying that he's going to be working again something they've got going together him and mark are working together and it was only afterwards i thought hang on a second kevin smith's doing this he-man reboot are we going to have mark hamill doing the voice of somebody in he-man i think you'd be great for skeletal i think you'd be great that would be a nice, it's certainly an evolution from uh, his Joker um, representation as well. That kind of very manic, uh, high-pitched mm. uh, take on it. That'd be rather cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as I said, you know, he, you know what he's like. He likes to talk. So there was low. That there wasn't that many questions. He did more questions than I thought he was going to do, to be honest. Um, but you know, anytime he's going to talk, he will talk and talk and talk. And you could see his PR person keep. Come on, wrap it up. We've got more questions, you know. Um, and the good thing was, actually, because this is uh, backed by Legion M, who obviously have been on the, the show before with yourself, Leonard. Um, and if you are a member of Legion M, if you were there and you asked a question, you got a lovely lanyard, which they use in the film when they go to Chronic Con. Chronic Con. I've got to pronounce that right. So you get the lanyard and you get the little thing as well. So if you asked a question, you got one of those. Uh, so, I mean, you know, that's nice enough as it is. And then you get access to screenings and whatever else. Um, but yes, so he was talking about financing and all of these different things, which he talks about. You know, he's very open about these things. What was the kind of um, uh, demographic of the... Uh... Uh, the the uh, the show. I mean, certainly the Q and A because I mean, he's you say he's talking about the the financing of the whole thing. That sounds a little kind of uh, dry and clean cut. Or was there a little bit more light no, no. and le levity to the uh, proceedings? No, no, it was very light. Come on, you know what he's like. He could read the phone book and it would still be interesting. <laughs> this is the thing. And the demographic very much was middle aged men. You know, I mean, there, there wasn't many outside of that, to be honest with you. But it was very much people who grew up with his films in the 90s. You know, the the before nerd culture had really hit. And now, obviously, they classify themselves as nerds. This is the demographic for him. He knows his demographic. And this is what he's playing to. And he, and as I said before, he's getting the seats. Uh, he's getting the bums on seats because he's going out and saying, let me go out. Let me sell it to my people. And those are his people. And they turn up for everything. Listen, I'm one of them. I turn up for anything. If he's here, I'll happily go and listen to him talk for three hours. Um, but yeah, the demographic, I was, <laughs> when you go to, because uh, I went to the Prince Charles cinema to see it, uh, you can't uh, queue uh, slash line up inside. You have to queue outside, round the corner, down through Chinatown. So we got there about half an hour before it was due to start. And uh yeah, there was probably already about 200 people in the queue. I mean, it's assigned seating and there's only 300 people. But as you walk down the queue, you're like, yep, 
yep, kind of guessed it would be all of these people. <laughs> like nobody stood out where you're like, really, this person, uh, Kevin Smith, come on, come on. But no, it was uh, it was all the people you would expect. That's the great thing about it. Fair enough. And I think we'll just wrap up with, if you can, without spoiling too much, your thoughts on the actual film. Uh, you've got the chance to see it. Uh, I mean, it's um, getting a couple of limited screenings here in the UK. It's gotten itself its limited screenings in the US as well. But uh, yeah, for those people who may be on the fence about going to go see it, can you give them a, a review, uh, please? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you're only going to go and see this film if you've seen most of Kevin Smith's films before. You can't go having not seen any of his films. You can't go having seen only two. So this film is very much a love letter by Kevin Smith to Kevin Smith, which I'm fine with because that's all it is. But it shows that him slowly getting back into the viewer skew universe. You know, that's the thing. So getting back into Clerks and chasing Amy and everything else like that. For me, I absolutely loved it. But as I said, I'm the target demographic. I love all of his films. I think Clerks is absolutely his, his greatest film ever. But you're going and it is very fun on several levels because the cameos are off the charts, like ridiculously off the charts. And they're very funny. And the writing for these cameos is brilliant, like really witty stuff, like very, very clever. I like that. But I like the fact that it it uses the convention scene as well. Like towards the end, they have to go to, as I said, chronic con. And there's lots of things going on there where you're like, yeah, that totally happens at a comic convention. You know, he's he's writing from experience. And then there is this kind of metaphysical point to it, like an angle to it, where it it sort of is talking from the first and third person angle, which is weird to say, but it works in the film. And at some point, it even goes to like the fourth person, which is bonkers, but it works. It, for me, it works all the way through. And also, I've got to say that Kevin Smith's daughter is one of the leads and she's great in it. She's absolutely fantastic, actually. So what you're trying to say to me is that um, if you enjoyed Tusk as much as I did, I'm going to love this film. <laughs> did you see Yoga Hoses? No, I haven't. Okay, right. I'll, okay. I'll that. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Tusk is a uh, acquired taste. I mean, he did bring it up in the Q&A, I have to say. Um, no, if you like Kevin's original work, you know, Mallrats and Clerks and, and things like that, yes, you'll love this. Tusk, if you love Tusk, maybe we need to talk about that a little <laughs> bit. Um, <laughs> is this right? Are you, okay, are you going to start staging an intervention for me? No, no, listen, I, I'm okay with Tusk. It's fine if you know that it is a little bit weird and a little bit out there. But this is not that, you know, if you love Tusk, this is not the film for you, let me tell you. This is much more, as I said, a love letter to the original Kevin Smith USQ universe by the director. Fair enough. Uh, a couple of comments that have come in on uh, the, the chat already, uh, especially when it comes to um, the way that he has been promoting uh, the show. Michael P., you're going to be surprised by this. He's actually referencing The Expanse. Uh, Michael P. is uh, letting us know that uh, Kevin did a very special Expanse trailer. Um, also saying, um, let's see down here, that uh, the, the trailer was so good. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Dan Berry uh, saying Legion M. I know those guys. Yes, indeed. So do I. Um, they are awesome. Regular folk can invest in movies. Well worth checking out the Legion M uh, page if you get the chance. <laughs> Into the Blue Mister. Uh, Skeletor Joker. I am not nice. No, yeah. That, I, yeah, good reference. I like that one. Well done. Uh, so there we go. And uh, last but not least, uh, we do have 
Um, yeah, <laughs> Kevin Smith's finest hour is the first 10 minutes of chasing Amy. This is where we may have to hold Mark back. <laughs> no, it, no, chasing Amy is actually from the viewpoint of somebody who goes to conventions and before it was, you know, before the nerd word and being cool to be nerd, chasing Amy told it how it was and if you go back and watch that film there is a lot of interesting things talked about in that about you know um coming of age dealing with sexuality dealing with finding your place in the world i actually think chasing amy is a better film now than it was when it came out but you know those first 10 minutes are absolutely cracking i will say that but the whole film to me i watched it last year and i'm like this is a million times better than what i remember it being i agree with that I agree with that, and uh, very nicely put, indeed. And also, Dan Berry, what's a Nubian? Uh, of course, it had to be finished. I think that's the way we can finish on that. Excellent stuff. Listen, thank you very much, indeed, for coming on uh, and talking about that. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking out the film uh, when it comes out, no doubt, uh, on uh, a streaming service at some point in 2020. But for now, for getting um, people to go and see the film and to actually have that interaction and meeting people it's almost like hand delivering the film to them. And I think yeah. that's, um, it, it's, it's, it hasn't been done to this scale before. And he's, he's, I love the fact as well that he is saying that every single time that he's showing this film, uh, he's actually in the room as well. He must have seen it so many times now, but he's just getting off on the whole um, adulation and the, the responses of the audience. And you can't say fairer than that. That's a real, uh, a real positive uh, thing and an attitude for a director to have. So that's oh really yeah, cool. absolutely. And actually, interesting you say that. What they've been doing secretly is filming at the back of the cinema when certain cameos turn up, and then sending that footage to that actor, just to show how much they're still loved. Nice, nice. Excellent stuff. Listen, thank you very much indeed for coming on, mate. Um, no looking worries. forward to uh, getting you back on again. Are we going to be seeing you again before Christmas? Uh, if you'll have me, you know. Always. If you think I've got enough words to say, then why not? <laughs> Always. It'd be good to have a kind of uh, wrapping up of the year as well, perhaps. Uh, yeah. Do kind of uh, a closure of uh, 2020. So that'd be mm. rather cool. Mark, thank you very much indeed for coming on, mate. No problem. Anytime. Anytime. Brilliant. Thank you. So there you go, Mark Serby talking about Kevin Smith and Kevin Smith, or uh, should I say, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, which you can find out more about um, at uh, jayandsilentbobreboot.co.uk. I know there's a, a UK version of the site. There's still one or two screenings happening here in the UK. Still plenty more touring to do in the US as well um, off the back of uh, – uh, he's gone back to the US now and he's back to uh, doing some more – um, uh, promotion for the film over there and that's us thank you very much indeed to christine thank you very much indeed to uh, uh to mark for joining us um we do have some great guests coming up over the course of the next couple of weeks we do have a show that's going to be taking place next week and the week after we are going to have to take a break the week after that because as a working dj unfortunately Christmas is now here. The festive season is happening, and uh, it does mean that I do have one or two jobs which I have to do on a Sunday, and that uh, third weekend in December is one of them. But we are going to be back for uh, two more shows as we close the year down. Uh, Christmas one, just to wrap things up, uh, we have a special guest lined up for that, which I'm sure you're going to be excited about when I announce it next week. And then we're going to have our close of the year uh, show um, before the new year. And that's us. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Once again, back again next week. 
10 a.m pacific 1 p.m eastern 6 p.m gmt hope you've enjoyed the show and if you have spread it, spread the love spread it around let everyone know that we are here each and every sunday talking com with myself Ben Sultan. from me to you enjoy the rest of your sunday take care